Welcome into 2 for one Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for one Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today we're going to be previewing the weekend slate of games, looking at the NFL in Week 8 and college football in Week 9. The Big Ten is back. Penn State, Ohio State, you have Florida, Missouri, a handful of really exciting games on the college slate. And in the NFL, Packers-Vikings, Falcons-Panthers on Thursday night. We're going to get into it, look at the best rookies, second-year players, prospects, and all of those games. Also, need to let you know, this podcast is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions for $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. in studio with my guy Anthony Trash PFF underscore Anthony on Twitter encourage all of you guys to follow him on Twitter filling in for Mike Renner who does not have COVID we had a handful of people reaching out does Mike have COVID he's still waiting for results back he might have COVID but we're quarantining him until we find out if he does have COVID prayers and thoughts out to Mike Renner but Trash Anthony you're, you're a great fill and I will say that well, thank you. I, I had uh, high expectations coming in. It's a <laughs> lot lofty there to fill in for the Mike Renner, but so far so good, and we'll keep it rolling today. Part of me thinks that he's only doing this to exclusively watch the Bachelorette by himself and relive the glory days. Because Mike Renner, if you don't know, was on the Bachelorette for, what, like two or three episodes and still feels like he's a part of that culture. So now that the Bachelorette's back, I don't personally watch the show, but maybe he just needed a break to kind of get back into that space. I don't know. Do you watch the Bachelorette? What's your take on reality TV? TV that's that garbage I, I do not I'm not a big fan of reality TV unless it's Jersey Shore but that is a very good point <laughs> I, I think that that is a good conspiracy to make I never even thought about that but I, th- I think we might have to investigate that we, we honestly might you know who does like reality TV and this stunned me George Shahuri, PFS really? director of content that guy said he likes reality TV he watches the Bachelorette religiously I couldn't believe it because it's, gar- it's garbage TV it's absolutely garbage then Mike Granner has some fantastic stories from the Bachelorette by the way he said and I quote it is faker than anyone even says it is. You know, it is more fake. He said there was one time where a guy got voted off or whatever, and they drove him around. They had to take him to the airport. He's off. And they drove him around the car and said, we will not drop you off at the airport until you cry in this vehicle. He said that. He told me, like, how insane is that? He also said that, like, they make you, like, they're in your ear and, like, go up and kiss her right now. Go up and tell her you love her. And it's like, dude, it's just wild stuff on The Bachelorette. Those guys um, have their hand in everything, the, the producers or whatever it may be, The Bachelorette. My, my favorite story was the uh, St. Patrick's Day one. Oh, yeah, where <laughs> Renner gets absolutely tanked at St. Patrick's Day. They end up cutting him off. And uh, that that is quintessential renter to be honest that's uh, that's who he is all right well, let's go ahead and get into this slate of games we're gonna start with college football then pivot to the nfl a handful of games mentioning prospects in each one wanted to start with this one because I, I think this is an interesting storyline minnesota versus maryland and the bigger prospect the biggest prospect in this game is rashad bateman and rashad bateman now wearing number zero i don't know if you caught that in week uh, in their first game back but not only is he wearing number zero but he's playing the tyler johnson role in this offense he's playing in the slot almost exclusively which again speaks to Tyler Johnson was the focal point of the Minnesota offense. They put him in the slot for a reason. They put him in the slot because that is what got fed targets in that offense, an RPO-heavy offense with Tanner Morgan and company. Now Rashad Bateman playing that same exact role. We're not going to see a ton of single coverage looks for him. He's going to see those same type of off-coverage concepts, finding holes in zones, et cetera. And he's performing well in it. But I think, again, and I've made this comment to Mike. 
the differences between Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson are not as vast as what their draft projections were. Tyler Johnson obviously dropping to the fifth round, while Rashad Bateman is coveted as this first rounder by many. I don't, the, the differences in their game aren't vast. Like Rashad Bateman is not an elite athlete. Tyler Johnson was not an elite athlete. Rashad Bateman, I think, has better ball skills, better in contested catch situations, fewer drops. But like that is kind of the key separator for me because I think both of these guys are proficient route runners, decent after the catch. What is your opinion on Rashad Bateman now playing in the slot? How do you view him as a prospect and a college football player? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point to make. And I was kind of disappointed because I loved seeing him on the outside yeah. in single coverage because he, I thought he was great in that role. And he's, he's great in the slot right now. He had a great game. He was one of the few bright spots on Minnesota last week in that ugly game against uh, Michigan. But I, I think he is, I think you make a good point with that. He is a very good college player. But I'm afraid that some team might reach on him in the early in the first round, especially maybe over a guy like Jalen Waddell or Rondale Moore. I think there's better wide receivers out there. But granted, he is one of the best college wide receivers. But I, I do think the difference between he and Tyler Johnson, you know, it's, it's pretty marginal at this point. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I'm going to hold on to that take as we get closer to the combine, as we get closer to this guy being a top 32 pick. I still don't think that the differences are that vast. And I, I'm i not drafting Rashad Bateman over Jalen Waddell, Rondell Moore, even Devontae Smith. Like, I think he is not that much of a difference maker of these guys who have legitimate speed and legitimate, like, deep threat ability. But uh, and I'm not saying he's not a good player. But we were higher on Tyler Johnson. We saw him as a high day two pick, even with the kind of off-field stuff. Talked to him a handful of times, interviewed him at the Combine, interviewed him on the podcast. Never thought that he was this guy that, you know, was talked about, had character concerns. People said character concerns were the reason he didn't get invited to the Senior Bowl. Said coaches didn't like him. Coaches didn't like him. That is just, he was playing the number one receiver in that offense. He was the number one target, you know, had the lead in target share. A bulk majority of his targets were on first reads. If the coaches didn't like him, they didn't do a good job of showing it. Um... Tyler Johnson obviously won't get a ton of run in Tampa Bay with Antonio Brown now signed, but did have some run there when they were battling injuries, and I thought he looked okay. Um, moving to Georgia versus Kentucky. Um, the biggest name, I think, in this one is is an edge defender that's kind of on the rise in the NCAA right now. It's an Aziz Ojulari. Have you watched a ton of Aziz? Because he's going against a very good tackle tandem and Darian Kennard and Landon Young, two guys that have graded well for Kentucky and for PFF so far this year. I, I like Aziz Ojulari. I think he's better than a lot of the Georgia edge defenders that have come out, guys that are like pure run defending types that play inside at the next level. I think he can actually bend the edge and make some moves. Yeah, I agree. I was kind of surprised to see that he's been this good this early. I mean, he's just outside the top 10 in the FBS in both pass rush grade and pass rush win rate. And as you said, this is going to be a very interesting thing because Landon Young and Darian Kennard have been playing really, really good. And Darian Kennard specifically, I mean, last year he was an elite run blocker, but still had his flaws in pass protection. But so far, so good this year in pass protection. And I, I think it's going to be Aziz and Georgia that's going to win this matchup, though, just because some of the pass rushes Kirby Smart likes to dial up there. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a huge test for him. And I think this is going to be kind of like the defining moment for both Darian Kennard and Landon Young as to, you know, what really their future, their NFL future looks like in their draft stock. Yeah, I mean, for Aziz Ojolari, he's not like your prototypical Georgia defensive end. He's only six foot three, two hundred forty. These other guys that have come out have been like six five, two eighty. These guys that kind of stand up offensive tackles. And you look at his splits here. He's played a bulk majority of his snaps at right uh, defensive end, but he's also played over thirty snaps at left defensive end. He should see a little bit of a share between Landon Young and Darian Kennard. I definitely would put this one on. If you're watching Aziz Ojolari as a prospect, I think this is a tape you're going to go back to. This is a tape you should watch live. I'm very interested to see how he rises to the occasion. Aziz, through now, what, four games, has um, 
three pressures, at least three pressures in every game, an 84.3 PFF pass rushing grade, and an 89.4 uh, PFF grade overall over acro- across 160 defensive snaps. Jumping to, I'm excited for this game because I think Michigan has some freaking talent this year. Michigan versus Michigan State. I don't know how much Michigan State stays in this game. They just, they're coming off a loss to Rutgers, but I still think this is a fun one to watch for the, the talent that's in this one. Let's start along the defensive line. Two of my favorite players in the country right now, Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson. There, there's I, I can say so many positive things, but I'll let you start. Where are you on those two? Yeah, I wasn't as high at, on Quiddy Pay as you and Mike were, mm-hmm. but last week it, it turned me around because he <laughs> absolutely just dominated Minnesota's offensive line. Had the best game of his career from a pass rushing perspective. Uh, had seven pressures, eighty-eight point three pass rush grade, and the kind of, like we knew he was a freak athlete. It was just kind of the technique that we were really focusing on. And I thought he was a little bit better, looked better in that game as opposed to last season. So I, I, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a star. I, I really do think he's going to continue this on. Um, Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson didn't really have the best game, but I'm not putting too much stock into that because of his last year. Um, but I mean, one positive with Michigan State, Drew Beasley. He was mm-hmm. our uh, breakout candidate in the PFF College Magazine. And last week he did go off against Rutgers, even though everyone else kind of stunk. Um, 89.4 pass rush grade. So that's another edge rusher to watch in this one. Yeah, I had had Drew Beasley highlighted as well. But Quiddy Pay this past week, 69 total defensive snaps and 84.1 PFF grade and an 88.3 pass rushing grade. Seven pressures, two sacks. I mean, this guy looked incredible. I'm glad you brought up the technique because the biggest flaw with him in 2019 was, yes, he's this athlete, but he doesn't have any moves. Like, he literally had no moves. He was, like, bull rushing inside shoulders and stuff. But now I saw him win with his hands. I saw him win uh, multiple ways in this game. That is super encouraging for his stock. And as for Aiden Hutchinson, Mike is a big fan. Sees him as this, like, kind of um, Zach Allen type, the former Boston College defensive end that now plays for the Arizona Cardinals in, like, that 3-4 look. I think Aiden uh, Aiden Hutchinson can kind of be that guy at the next level, has good size. Not... Not a Chase Winovich. Yes, he's a white Michigan defensive end, but he's not a Chase Winovich. Doesn't have the same bend or the uh, the athleticism to burst. But I still think he can be a productive player in the NFL. One of those high floor edge defender types. A couple other names here. Two names I want to bring up on the offensive side for Michigan. Ronnie Bell and Joe Milton. There's some hype building around these two. I know our... Um, our, our podcast assistant, David Sofaro, is a Michigan guy. Joe Milton, he's a big fan of Joe Milton. What's your opinion of Milton? I didn't love his first game. I think he had, the box score looked good for him, but I didn't love his first game with Michigan. What's your opinion on Joe Milton and Ronnie Bell, the receiver? Yeah, um, Joe Milton, I, I'm still – I'm not going to make a big take on him quite yet because a lot of that production was schemed. It was a lot of screens, a lot of play action, a lot of RPOs in there, a lot of quick throws. That's kind of why we saw Boye Mafe from Minnesota. He really didn't have a great game from a pass rushing perspective because yeah. he didn't get those true pass rush opportunities. So I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, you know, Joe Milton's going to be great or he's going to suck. You know, I kind of I need to see more from him. Um, so that that's kind of where I stand on Joe Milton. Um, as for Ronnie Bell, the biggest thing he had to do is clean up the drops because last year he had a lot of them, you know, eight drops on 83 targets there, but didn't have any against Minnesota. So, so far, so good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm more confident in the Michigan defense than I am the offense at this point. I, yeah. still, I, I don't think 
quite yet this can go up with an Ohio State type of deep, uh, type of team. Yeah, there's reasons to be, you know, have concerns on the Michigan offense, especially just through one game, one game sample size. But I will say about Ronnie Bell, and I've talked to some other people, some other draft analysts, some guys that are watching college football this year. They're fans of this guy. There's there are some some stands for Ronnie Bell, six foot, 190 pounds. Uh, this past, you know, in the week prior, four receptions on five targets for 74 yards and two missed tackles. And I think in, in 2019 he had 14 total missed tackles on 46 receptions. When you're six foot 190, you got to break tackles. You have to make moves after the catch because you're not going to be this dominant outside receiver nine times out of 10 in the NFL. So seeing that force miss tackle ability, I think is big for him. I think that's another name I'll be watching in addition to the two defensive ends. And obviously Drew Beasley, as you highlighted, let's jump to now um, LSU versus Auburn. There's another Ojulari that's playing well in, in the, um, in the SEC and it's BJ Ojulari of LSU. He's one of the highest grade players in college football right now, specifically along the edge, which Ojulari is better. I think uh, Aziz Ojulari has a better matchup to see kind of his skill set. Auburn, not as good of offensive tackles here, but B.J. Ojolari has looked really good in recent weeks. Yeah, I, I've been kind of stunned with how good. I mean, Eli Ricks was the the young player on the LSU, LSU defense that I was circling before the year to highlight and watch, and he's been great. But B.J. Ojolari, 20% win rate in every single game he's played in. Dude. This week, he's going up against Alec Jackson, and he has not been good at all whatsoever <laughs> this year. He's allowed 18 pressures, uh, 43.2 pass block grade. That's going. That's one of the bottom five in the SEC. It's going to be ugly. Those two are going to go head to head, and I think BJ Ojolari is going to continue that streak of a 20 plus percent win rate. Yeah, he's not draft week. eligible this year. This is yeah. a very young player. Where's number eight for LSU? 6'2", 230. Still needs to add some weight to that frame, but. Out of the gate here, 104 total snaps has an 87.3 PFF grade and an 86.6 pass rushing grade, 13 pressures on the year. I He's got some juice, man. This guy explodes out of his stance. I'm excited to continue to watch him. This is his first year playing, obviously, at LSU. Um, an underclassman, what Michael and I call him, you're probably not familiar, but a, um, a fake ID candidate. We'll let him into the bar. We'll let him into the bar. We'll let him into the podcast, but uh, not draft eligible, so we'll see how it goes down the line here. I mean, say what you will about this LSU defense, though, but they have a a lot of young talent with B.J. Ojolari, who we just now found out, uh, Cordell Flott, Derek Stingley, Eli Ricks. I mean, next year, that this is going to be a good LSU defense. I know Bo Pelini, they, they got toasted against Mississippi State the first mm-hmm. week, and they just really have not been great this year. They haven't but, gelled, though. I mean, and yeah. Stingley didn't even play in that game. Like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like they're definitely looking for new leadership. They're looking for, like, a new identity on the defensive side of the ball and offensive side of the ball. And I think um, – Having those gap years in college football is not uncommon, especially when you're like introducing a ton of new talent like they are. So uh, Miles Brandon needs to pick things up. The receiving core, though, is still stacked. Let's talk uh, Terrace Marshall, man. Terrace Marshall, I was not a huge fan of going into the year. And I think the biggest reason for that was you just didn't see a ton of single coverage looks. You didn't see him beating you know man a ton. But now this year, playing more in the slot and all that stuff, I think Terrace Marshall has... Similar traits to Justin Jefferson, similar athleticism in that he can be this like athlete on the football field and get what the defense is giving him. And I'm not willing to fade him just because I'm not seeing a ton of single coverage looks because this guy is getting it done in the SEC. And I think that in and of itself is impressive. Yeah, Justin Jefferson has been teaching us (laughs) that that lesson this year. But yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you on Terrace Marshall. You know, last year with Joe Burrow, he he had a lot of touchdowns, boatload of touchdowns. But a lot of those touchdowns came from a coverage bus right at the goal line, screens just right at the goal line. I mean, there was a lot of easy walk-in touchdowns. Me or you could have scored the touchdown if we were Terrace Marshall out there. But he hasn't really had that this year. I I agree with you. I think he's been performing a lot better than what we saw last year. So it's good to see that he's improved without Joe Burrow because I think that was just kind of the big concern 
with the LSU receivers last year. Like, you know, how much was it Joe Burrow mm-hmm. or how much was it, you know, them? Yeah, I mean, yards per reception right now is up at 19. He had 14.6 this previous year, nine touchdowns already on 27 receptions so far this year. Four drops, which is a bit of a concern at the at the at with only 35 targets. But Terrace Marshall is at least a name to, name to watch. 6'3", 200, has some decent speed, decent athleticism. Pivoting to Auburn side of the ball, specifically defense. Two guys that have graded well or on high, are high on people's radar as prospects. Roger McCreary, one of the higher-graded um, cornerbacks in the SEC, and Jameen or Jamie and Sherwood, where's number 20 for Auburn. Dude plays with his hair on fire, beats people up um, down in the line of scrimmage. One of my favorite kind of safety off-ball linebacker prospects. I don't know. He's too small probably to play off-ball linebacker, but he's got like this linebacker mentality that I can get behind. Um, have you watched a ton of McCreary, Sherwood? What's your opinion on those two? Yeah, I think Roger McCreary is the best player Auburn has on either side of the ball. I mean, they, they've been, been really lucky this year. In, uh, against Arkansas and Ole Miss and even dating back to that first game Roger McCreary I think won that game against Kentucky because they, again Auburn got lucky it was they were about to go down a touchdown at halftime Christian Rodriguez clearly scored a touchdown but they said he was down at the goal line Terry Wilson throws a pick to Roger McCreary kind of saves the game for him gets gets that swing there so I, I mean he's been last year he proved he could go toe-to-toe with the best in press coverage I thought he's think he's been great this year I, I think he is easily the best player on either side of the ball for him I mean 81.1 PFF coverage grade in 2019 only allowed a 55 percent completion percentage and had 10 passes defense like he was on my radar in 2019 he was balling out for Robin the previous season so far this year a 77.4 coverage grade has allowed 11 receptions from 18 targets for just 148 yards three TDs and two picks um Last guy we'll mention, a guy that some people are calling this guy as a potential Heisman candidate, which I, I think they're also on crystal meth. So like that, they, you can kind of rule that out. But Tank Bigsby actually looks pretty legit as a running back prospect. Has forced a ton of missed tackles this year. Has got a good build. I know running backs don't matter, but r- running back watching running backs is still fun. Okay, Anthony, Tank Bigsby, I think is one of those fun players to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, I want whatever those people are smoking there. <laughs> they think he's a Heisman candidate. But he's been on fire these last three games for him. I mean, he's produced an explosive run of 10 or more yards on nearly a quarter of his carries. Overall in the year, 30 broken tackles on 74 carries. That is Yeah, that, his force tackle rate, I think, is the best in the country, if not top five. Yeah, it, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous what he's doing. So I don't think he's a Heisman candidate, but he's playing extremely well given the lack of experience he has. I mean, 91.1 rushing grade there. So... He's not a Heisman candidate, but I, I, I do like Tank Bigsby. He's one of my favorite uh, names, too, in college football. Yeah, it's a great name. It was it's a freaking pool, great name. But I think I'm going with Tank Bigsby. Smoke that. Monday. They have a handful of good names sure. on Auburn. So Tank Bigsby, Smoke Monday. He's also caught 11 receptions from 13 targets for 84, yard, 84 yards and forced two missed tackles on those. Um, I, I think definitely a name to watch in a running back class is kind of – Kind of brewing a little bit. Michael Carter of UNC looks very good. The, the Virginia Tech running back, I'm forgetting his name, but he's, he's... Khalil Herbert. Yeah, Khalil Herbert, and then now Tank Bigsby. I think there's a handful of, like, you know, Travis Etienne and then everyone else was kind of how I viewed the class going in. But now, oh, Najah Harris, too, is, is is not a sleeper. I wouldn't call him a sleeper, but he's a running back in this draft that people will flock to. Tank Bigsby, Michael Carter, Khalil Herbert are other guys that I think starting to mention but i don't know if tank, tank bigsby is an underclassman right yeah, yeah he's yeah, not he's, he's not going to the draft yeah but we, we still get a few more years of tank only uh what true freshman or retro freshman uh true freshman true freshman doing it in the sec 30 broken tackles as a true freshman <clears throat> excuse me that is freaking absurd uh jumping to now mississippi state versus alabama 
There's not a lot to like on the Mississippi State side of the ball from a prospect perspective, but this Alabama team is a laundry list. Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris we spoke to, Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle, and defensively, Patrick Sertain um, and Josh Job. Those two defensive backs are grading well and um, can, could be legitimate prospects in 2021. Let's start with Devontae Smith. Now Jalen Waddell, obviously missing the entire season now with a broken ankle. He's going to get a lot more targets. He's going to see an increase in target share. So will John Mechie, the Canadian board underclassman. Devontae Smith isn't doesn't have the same speed as in Henry Ruggs or Jalen Waddle, but the ball skills, the route running ability, he can still win vertically on these valuable routes down the field. I'm a huge fan of Devontae Smith. I know you are as well. How do you see this increase in target share playing out for his draft stock? Yeah, I mean, right now he's the second highest graded wide receiver in college football. Yeah, I don't think that's going to change. Does at he all just whatsoever. become the first graded? Maybe. I, yeah, he <laughs> might become the, the number one graded. And I don't even think the speed is that big of a concern. I mean, mm. he still stacks some guys. Yes, exactly. A, a lot. I, I would say four fours, mid four fours, high four fours. That's no concern at all. I mean, he kind of makes up for you know not having Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs type of speed with everything else he does. I mean, despite that small frame, the dude can go toe-to-toe in contested situations and come away with the win so i mean the ball skills are tremendous so i think he is going to end up the best wide receiver in college football and eventually we're going to get mike to put him near the top of that draft board. yes i i I still think i still think and i'll say this and i wasn't on on board with this you know early in 2019 but i still think i would take jalen waddle ahead of Devontae smith just because in the same vein you're kind of taking henry ruggs over jerry judy or reason in the nfl because you're looking for this absolute explosiveness i wasn't on board with that i would have rather had jerry judy over henry ruggs i still had him as one of the better receivers in that class but still you get it you get why teams would you know rather have the faster more explosive player because that's what wins in the nfl right now you having speed having those vertical threats is huge for offenses in the nfl Devontae smith isn't a Tyreek Hill isn't a Henry Ruggs, a Jalen Waddell, but he still provides, I think, true number one wide receiver at the next level. Some people have him pegged in the four fives. He breaks four fours, dude. This guy's not leaving the first round. I don't think he leaves the first 20 picks. Do you think right now would you take Devonta Smith over Rondale Moore? I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I, I, I think Rondale Moore, just because of the unknown, the speed, it depends. I think Rondale Moore goes to the combine. I think the combine's going to be big for Rondo Moore because if he is that freak athlete, you know, runs like a freaking 6-5-3 cone and, and it runs in the four, four, low 4-4s, four, four, four I'm on Rondo Moore. I'm in. I, I saw it as a true freshman in 2018 against Ohio State, TCU, et cetera. I'm all in. But if he doesn't live up to this, like, insane athlete hype and you have the injuries and you have the size concerns, then I start to get more on board with the production, what I've seen from Devontae Smith. I hate to say the combine has that much weight for me, but I do think it's important because we're not going to see a lot of Rondell Moore. Call it what it is. Even when he does come back for Purdue, you're not going to see a ton of Rondell Moore. What is going to matter is the combine and what you do know of him as an athlete. They're close, though. They're close for me for sure. A um, couple more names we'll mention. Mac Jones is having a stellar year, one of the highest-graded quarterbacks, Najah Harris. But what I want to talk is um, Patrick Sertain, the outside quarterback for Alabama, a bigger corner that is a little bit slower Better athlete than Trayvon Diggs, but a little bit slower. Not this like elite athlete that plays well in press, has good length, but can get beat deep over the top against better athletes. Similar concerns to Trayvon Diggs. Where are you at with him? I know he has the NFL bloodlines. So does Trayvon Diggs. Where are you at with Sertain? I, I'm not ready to fall in love with one of these guys again because I was a big fan of Trayvon Diggs. Graded super well for us. The stats were insane. Really good in press. But Patrick Sertain again, is not going to test like an elite athlete like Jeffrey Okuda or some of these other guys that were drafted highly. Where are you at with him right now? Yeah, I think Patrick Sertain and Josh Job. I think they're the best 
cornerbacks in in the SEC, some of the best in all of college football. And I think Sertain, he kind of proved like the last two years, he locked down some of the best wide receivers in the SEC. I mean, he was a lockdown guy. And it's Mm -hmm. truly rare to see the kind of production and just the yards per cover snaps numbers he allowed in the SEC in that span. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there is some concern about getting deep beat deep downfield, but he's not going to lose many contested balls with this length. I mean, he's great at the catch point. So I I think right now, I think Patrick Sertain is, I know he's a great college corner. I'm I'm just a little concerned. I know some people are putting him up there top five, top 10 status. And I I do like him, but I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think testing is going to be super important for him. Like you, if you're not running a four, four at outside corner, you're going to be locked into a press-only scheme. And Trayvon Diggs has not been playing a ton of press in Dallas. Like, they have not run the scheme that fits his skill set. And when in press, he's had some better better plays in the NFL. But when he's in off coverage, when he's asked to do other things, he's either lost or burnt. That, that's that been the problem for Trayvon Diggs. And I think Sertain could be in a similar spot if not given that opportunity to get his hands on guys at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Definitely, even though Mississippi State's going to be a little bit of a not – that, that, not that great of an opponent, turn on every Alabama game because you're going to see some stars uh, wearing uh, crimson. Do you think some NFL teams are going to look at Trayvon Diggs and then kind of get a little worried with Patrick I don't Chicago? know. I, I think the teams that were off of Trayvon Diggs – and you know, had him go into the second round, or whatever, are going to be the same teams that are going to be off Patrick Sertain, knowing that he's not a guy that will fit in our scheme. He's not a guy that has the athleticism we need at the cornerback position or that we value at cornerback positions. Because there are teams that like have legit cutoffs in terms of athleticism, three cone, uh, 40 for the corners that they do bring in, length, all that type of stuff. So I think there are going to be teams that are off of him. He's not going to be like an Akuda. You know, Akuda has the, all the tools you need, former five star, the production of Ohio State, experience in man coverage. Like he had all the tools to be what number three top five pick or whatever it was that is not Patrick Sertain for me we'll see how um the season plays out though all right Missouri versus Florida a ton of Florida talent in this one but before we get to Florida Nick Bolton one of the highest graded if not the highest graded coverage linebacker in 2019 um a guy who's a crazy athlete love how he plays the game plays with his hair on fire wants to kill people there's that hit against I think it was um Tennessee on uh Juwan Jennings at the goal line where it's like Okay, there's only a handful of linebackers in, in the NFL that even have you know the stones to make this type of hit or the athleticism, the explosiveness. Um, I think this guy's going to be in the running for top two, top three linebackers in this class. And what is, I think, a very good off-ball linebacker class, unlike last year. Yeah, I don't think he's going to crack the top two. I, I do think he's number three there. I, I like Jeremiah was Cormo just a little bit more, but he was one that I was kind of worried about coming into this year to see how much he regressed just because last year he had a lot of great interceptions in there I was curious to see if he was able to sustain that and he hasn't had many plays on ball but as you said the guy has is playing with his air on fire exactly I mean he's still grading out in the high 70s so I'm liking what I'm seeing from Nick Bolton so far but I I don't think he I don't think he cracks the second spot I mean obviously Micah Parsons locked up yeah I mean Micah Parsons of Penn State who isn't even playing this year opted off the draft for good reason is a generational talent at off-ball linebacker. I think the best linebacker prospect we've really seen since Luke Keekley. After that, I think it's going to be a battle between Bolton of, of Missouri, uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa of um, Notre Dame, guy who can play like slot corner in the NFL, even guy has like absurd athleticism. And I'll throw this guy in there too, Dylan Moses. I really do like Dylan Moses. He, he is a very good athlete, a guy that you can do a lot of things with. I think he can play along the edge. Like this guy is a specimen. They just built different. I, I think he's a guy that will be in that conversation uh, for top linebacker, not top linebacker, but top three, top four linebackers in this class. Florida now. 
And we're going to get to Kyle Trask. Don't you worry, Tony. We're going to get to Kyle Trask. But let's start with my guy, Brenton Cox Jr. on the defensive side. He's been one of the more impressive edge defenders in college football. Had two really, really nice spin moves so far this year that you can't pull off if you don't have juice. You can't pull off if you don't have athleticism. He's also beat some guys outside. He's been one of the more impressive athletes along the edge I've seen this year because we're not seeing Gregory Russo. We haven't seen – we didn't see Jason Oway until this past uh, this past week. Brenton Cox Jr. is a name to know in this edge class. Yeah, he's looking like that five-star recruit that originally yeah. was going to Georgia a few years ago. Um, he, he's had – he's third in pass risk grade this year. He's had five pressures in every single game played. I'm really impressed with Brenton Cox. I was kind of curious to see how he would kind of break out, if he would break out this year just because he didn't play in 2019. Mm-hmm. There's some situations there. So, I mean, I, I really like him what I'm seeing from Brenton Cox. All right, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, two of the best pass catchers on Florida's team right now. I think Kadarius Tony is you know, really developing and cementing himself as one of the better receivers in college football. Like before it was like, get him more touches and I swear he'll be good. He's getting those touches now. And you're seeing not only is he really good after the catch, not only is he a force missed tackle waiting to happen, but he can actually run legitimate routes. He can create separation against single coverage. Really impressed with what both Pitts and Tony have done, but I'm giving you the floor. You wrote an article on Kyle Trask, the box score, the, the on PFF.com definitely tr- encourage you guys to check that out. The, the, the nutshell or the nut graph of the article really is that Kyle Trask, as good as the box score has been, as good as this offense has been for Florida, that more praise should be thrown at the coaches and the offense coordinator for Florida and the, and the supporting cast that is Pitts, that is Tony, than that should be thrown at Trask because a lot of this production has been schemed for him. Open throws have been created for him. And he's still making some mistakes, still has some negatively graded plays. It doesn't have the positively graded play rate that other quarterbacks in the SEC or college football have right now. Yeah, and – I'm not saying Kyle Trask is a bad quarterback. He's still finding the open receiver. He is making the right reads. That I mean, that's what you want. But, again, it, it is more of the supporting cast and the coaches that is responsible for this great box score. I mean, Dan Mullen is helping scheme some wide-open receivers. And, you know, positively graded thre- throw rate is kind of – negatively graded throw rate, so obviously it's in the quarterback's control. That's, that's more stable. But positively graded throw rate, it tends to be kind of uh, fluctuated there by the supporting cast usually. Mm-hmm. But when you have a situation like Kyle Trask where he has a low positively graded throw rate and but his box score is through the roof, it's nuts, then that kind of raises some red flags that there are way easier throws in there because even then, those positively graded throws are positively graded for a reason. They're a little bit more difficult. You know, they're deeper downfield. But he's had a lot of easy open underneath targets that they've taken 30 yards downfield. Yep. And when you're looking at the success of Florida's offense, that you know most of those plays have come from guys like Kadarius Toney, Kyle Pitts. So I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I mean, he's still his, from a decision-making perspective, it's night and day compared to what it was last year. He's getting a, he was a statue last year in the pocket. He's getting a little bit better, you know, in that in that regard. But I, I don't think Kyle Trask is that first-round type of quarterback. I don't think he's an elite quarterback. He's a good quarterback, but mm-hmm. I think when you're talking about you know who's going to be the the fourth or fifth guys taken after Lawrence Fields and Lance. I, I don't think Kyle Trask is in that conversation yet. But going back to Kadarius Tony, I've been really impressed with his route running. That 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 was one thing I needed to see. And the, the guy has made run some crisp routes and burnt some dudes and Kyle Pitts too. And he's he's on the on on pace to break PFF college records right now. So I I mean I'm excited about those two. But again, the Florida's offense is one of the best in college football, but it's more about the receivers and the play calling and the scheme than Kyle Trask himself. And when, when you're going back you're looking at the Ole Miss game. He had an elite PFF grade, but 
we're finding out that Ole Miss team might have the worst SEC defense we've ever seen in the PFF college era. So we have to take that with a grain of salt. Some of the big-time throws he had were, I mean, they're still difficult throws. They're big-time throws for a reason, but Ole Miss handed it right to him. I mean, there were a lot of easy ones in there for him. So I'm still, I need to see more from Kyle Trask before I even say he's a great or elite quarterback. So I I, I would just say be cautious, be alarmed. I'm really looking forward to seeing him play Georgia. That's going to be, I think, the defining game. That's a big game. That'll be a big game for him. One more prospect I wanted to mention quickly here before we jump to the next game is Larry Borum, the uh, offensive tackle for Missouri, a guy that's graded super well this year, 84.2 overall grade and an 84.5 pass blocking grade. He's six foot six foot six three thirty. This guy's a big dude. having a really a breakout year for Missouri, played over 750 snaps in 2019, just a 69.6 pass blocking grade, has taken that next step this year, um, another prospect to look at in that game. All right, moving forward here, you added this game, Texas versus Oklahoma State. You want to watch some Sam Ellinger. Yeah, and mostly just because he's been, it looked like he might even take that next step forward this year. Mm-hmm. I know me and Seth have talked about it a lot. You know, we maybe thought he could maybe get to that Heisman consideration. So did Mike, to be fair. Yeah, and just because you look at his passing grade, it went from around 81 to 86 last year. This year, it's back down to 70. And I think he's going to turn it around because most of his worst plays have have come outside the pocket. He has the third lowest passing rate in the FBS outside the pocket. When you're looking at, you know, what he does when he's inside the pocket, three from pressure, he's been pretty good. But this Oklahoma State defense, this is not a normal Big 12 defense. This is a good defense that I think is probably would be considered one of the better ones in, you know, the Big Ten or the SEC. And a big reason for that is Rodarius Williams, Greedy Williams' little brother. Mm -hmm. He's kind of been a key cog uh, for him for a little bit there. But this year, he's taken his play to a whole new level. Just 26 yards allowed on just over 100 coverage snaps at outside corner. Five forced incompletions, just four catches allowed. He's been, I mean, they play man coverage right around, you know, probably half the time he's been lights out when he's in man coverage so they're uh, avoiding him yeah that no one's targeting him he only has 11 targets on the year and he's played 100 over 120 uh coverage snaps like that's insane like that's when you know because looking at the college level you see it more often than you do in the nfl teams avoiding very good cornerbacks because you can you can afford to the other guy is likely a very young player or not a high star recruit Rodarius williams on the other hand is a guy that you should avoid playing oklahoma state and he's been avoided only allowed You mentioned, uh, what, 20-plus yards at outside corner, 35 total yards, all of which coming against Iowa State. <clears throat> really impressive start for Rodarius. All right, moving quickly here, Ohio State versus Penn State. One of my favorite games of the year every single year. So happy that we get it this year. We didn't think we were. Now we're getting Ohio State versus Penn State. Starting with Ohio State, Justin Fields, Chris Olave, the two big prospects for me. Wyatt Davis, too. Didn't have a great week one game, um, but still an impressive candidate potential first rounder in 2021 but i want fields looked insane much improved arm talents there accuracy is there rushing ability people want to make that comparison to cam newton and i thought that was a bit rich i don't think he's cam newton but he can be cam newton 0.9 you know he could be 0.9 of what cam newton brings brought to the table at auburn because his rushing ability i think is underrated he can force missed tackles he's a body blow waiting to happen can really you know wear down defenses that way and the arm talent you know the accuracy the anticipatory throwing I know he's got some of the best receivers in the country, but still, you just don't see other quarterbacks make those throws that he made this past week. Almost forgotten about because Graham Mertz you know, earned college football player of the week at the quarterback position, but Fields, this offense is loaded with talent. Yeah, and I think we're going to see that week in and week out. And I always forget, every single time I'm writing an article with Justin Fields in there, I always go straight to his passing, and I'm like, you got to include some of his rushing numbers, but it's so hard to just because he's in every single category at quarterback. His passing is 
I mean, it's been bananas. And I think with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, I mean, just two refined route runners there. This offense is going to continue to cook. I, I think the matchup in this one I'm most looking forward to is Jason Owe versus Nicholas Petit Ferrer. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he kind of lost a couple of reps. He didn't allow any pressures last week, but he did lose a couple of reps in pa- pass protection to a not so great Nebraska defensive line. And the interior offensive line of Ohio State got cooked by them, but I, I think they're all going to bounce back. But I think Jason Owe, I think he's going to have a big game. But Shaka Tony, on the other hand, I, I don't know with Theron Munford over there. I, I think that's. I think he might get a little bit of a test there. But I, I think Jason Owe is going to have a big game. I mean, this is going to be a very good one to watch. There's there's talent on both sides of the ball for both teams. Pat Fryer moved for Penn State is, is a tight end one candidate for some. I still like Kyle Pitts there. Jason Owe, Shaka Tony, the two defensive ends for Penn State you spoke to. You also have Sean Wade, the outside corner now for Ohio State, playing outside corner there. And then Tyreek Smith, who was an edge defender that was expected to kind of take this next step. Didn't have an, a, a fantastic week one in the Big Ten, but I still think Tyreek Smith is a name to watch in this game. This is must-watch college football. Ohio State-Penn State's always must-watch college football, but if you're a draft nut like like you like Lear, if you're listening to this podcast, Ohio State-Penn State is going to be so Don't sick. sleep on seven banks either, the other outside corner for Ohio State. I, I mean, I if you sleep on any outside corner that plays at Ohio yeah, State, you're probably exactly. missing out on a first-rounder. Exactly. They, 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 uh, they breathe those out there in Columbus. All right, last college football game before we jump to the NFL. NFL. You put this one one on here late. You just want to talk a little Zach Wilson, don't you? I Western did, Kentucky yeah. versus BYU. It's a it's a heavy spread. Zach Wilson's likely going to dominate. I'll lead with this question. I don't care about Western Kentucky. I don't really care what he does against them. Is Zach Wilson right now, if he finishes as this highest grade quarterback, 92, 93 plus overall grade, is he a first rounder in your opinion? If he sustains us throughout the whole year, yes, 100%. I mean, right now, 94.0 passing grade. That's Right, right up there with one of the best we've ever seen. Granted, mm-hmm. very bad defenses, but he is doing everything you can against a bad defense. I mean, he ha- he's top three in both negatively graded throw rate and positively graded throw rate. And if you're playing this cupcake schedule, you got to you got to <laughs> toast him, and he's toasting these guys. And so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to here is if he wants to at the college level, you know, get into that Heisman conversation, put BYU in the playoffs conversation. He has to keep playing like this. He has to beat Western Kentucky by 20 points. So I think that's. You know, I, I don't care about Western Kentucky. I care about BYU and Zach Wilson. And if he keeps playing like this, I think he is in that first round conversation. And I mean, it would be hard not to say he's not. And I mean, it, because it, I'll say it's I'm willing to throw competition out the window when you have the arm talent and the athleticism that Zach Wilson brings to the table. When you can clearly see this guy spins it different, that's when you get excited. Because you know who you don't get excited about? Dustin Crum of Kent State, who's playing against bad competition, earning really, really high PFF grades, but has a noodle, like an absolute noodle. Like you're not going to like we've seen it with Gardner Minshew at Washington State, one of the highest graded quarterbacks in all of college football when he came out, fell to the sixth round, was not coveted by us, was like what, a fifth rounder in our opinion, because he has a noodle of an arm and you know you're limited at the next level. With Zach Wilson, yes, he's going against cupcake competition, but this guy can spin it. This guy has yeah. juice on those throws, and that is what what you're willing to invest in at the next level. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how we don't talk about the competition level when it comes to Trey Lance's passing ability. True. They, we talk about his athleticism. Yeah. You know, he's and you talk sure, about his arm talent. Exactly, he's surefire. He, maybe he's the best quarterback after Trevor Lawrence. We get those <laughs> conversations, but we're looking at Zach Wilson. Oh, it's the competition's so bad. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, even though it's been bad, it's better than what Trey Lance has faced. I, I think it's time to start recognizing what Zach Wilson is doing and kind of, even though it's bad schedule, I mean, he's playing out of his mind. All right, we're going to jump to the NFL. Before we do so, we're going to take a quick break, but I'm excited to talk Justin Jefferson, Michael and Wainu, get the Herbert Joe Burrow conversation again. A lot of good stuff coming up. 
All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge Annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge Annual subscription. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Moosefit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your Moosefit membership and a Moosefit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your Moosefit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. Moosefit is well-equipped to help you provi- help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at Moosefit or their website, www.moosefit.co. Kicking off the NFL part of the podcast here, I want to talk Vikings Packers, and there's only two names I got to bring up. Justin Jefferson, who's the highest graded rookie or highest graded, one of the highest graded receivers in the NFL right now, dominating for the Minnesota Vikings. And he won't see this guy a ton, but I got to bring him up. He's a young player in the NFL that we really liked out of, you know, coming out of the draft is Jair Alexander, who's the highest graded cornerback in all of football. I doubt Jair shadows Justin Jefferson in the slot a ton. If he plays some outside reps, maybe we see it. But let's start with Justin Jefferson. What has surprised you the most? about Justin Jefferson in the NFL. Has anything surprised you? What, he's gotten off to a really good start. Was not coveted as like a first-round type of talent by PFF coming out. What has surprised you? You know, What hasn't surprised you? Give me it. it. Him beating single coverage as much as he has, I did not expect that. He was definitely, I mean, I'm going to say it, I was not high on Justin Jefferson. I, he was one of the prospects that I thought was being way overhyped. He's proved me definitely wrong. He, he's been excellent in single coverage, one of the highest-graded wide receivers in those situations. And, I mean, looking at... <laughs> Three of his last four games, receiving grade above 91.0. Those are also three of the eight best uh, games, single games we've ever recorded by a rookie wide receiver in the PFF era. Yeesh. There's been a lot of rookie wide receivers. That's how good this guy's playing. And going back to their week one matchup, Adam Thielen, I mean, he he cooked uh, Minnesota, or Green Bay there. And I, I think with kids... Adam Thielen's always giving uh, Green Bay fits. I think, and Justin Jefferson was a little quiet there, but now he's starting He's starting to come along. Mm-hmm. I, I could see a big game from both of those guys against this Green Bay team. I mean, I think Justin Jefferson, I haven't been incredibly surprised by what he's done. When he's winning on the outside against single coverage, it's with double moves, and we've seen that at LSU. When he's winning uh, in the slot, he's finding open holes in zone and winning after the catch. When he's in single coverage and not creating separation, he's coming down with contested targets. So his ball skills are something we loved at LSU. A few drops and always came down with the ball in contested catch situations. He's very much what we saw at LSU. I think what the problem for the evaluation for me was undervaluing what he did. You, I undervalued getting open against you know soft coverage and, and finding holes in zone. I undervalued his yards after the catch ability. Undervalued his contested catch ability. And honestly, 
that is a big learning moment, I think, for me, because I was a big fan of Justin Jefferson originally, but was kind of talked down and kind of realized that, hey, like if you can't win single coverage consistently, you're consistently playing in the slot. It's hard to project you as a better outside or dominant receiver in the NFL. I stand corrected, man. You're running as 11 personnel, 10 personnel, as much as teams are now. You need a Justin Jefferson on your football team. You need a guy that can do what he does from the slot because it's not as replaceable as people think. It's not like you can put any slot receiver in there and he can have the production that Justin Jefferson does. So um, super excited for his future with the Minnesota Vikings. The thing is with him too, like back in 2018, he was more on the outside. Mm-hmm. He did not win against single coverage. Yeah. And that's I think that was kind of the the defining moment. And I know you you always get better at the college level year after year, but that not seeing that, you know, in 2018. And when he did win in 2018, it was with double moves. Out, you know, yeah. like kind of schemed, you know, like given that opportunity to create separation. If you can't create separation on double moves, there's something wrong. There's, you know, like the defensive back is just in your bag there. But I do think um, I was concerned about his 2018 tape as well. Only earned what? Like an 81.0, 81.2 PFF grade in 2018. Uh, that's where we were with Justin Jefferson. All right, Patriots-Bills, a little bit of a matchup here. Michael Onwenu, one of the highest-graded players in the NFL right now who's been absolutely dominant, specifically in the run game, also not getting completely torched as a pass blocker, Going against Ed Oliver, second, third-year player for the Buffalo Bills, who's had good games so far this year. What has been your opinion of Onwenu? And when they do go toe-to-toe, who do you think wins that matchup? Yeah, Onwenu's been interesting just because he's play, he's had to play like all over the offensive line. And he's been excellent at guard. I, I think there is a little bit of concern when he was over at tackle and pass protection, but he's been really good you know, there at guard and pass protection and, of course, at run blocking, regardless where, he, where he's at. The guy is a filthy run blocker, but Ed Oliver, he had himself a game last week. Mm-hmm. I, I was really impressed. I thought, he looks good this year, yeah. really good this year. Yeah, and, you know, last year I thought it was a little bit of concern. I was kind of worried that he might get thrown into that bus label because we just didn't really see consistency from him. But this year he's starting to come along. So, I mean, this is going to be a fun, fun matchup to watch. All right, moving quickly, Chargers-Broncos. Justin Herbert, Drew Locke. Michael Ojemudier, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, all on the, on the Denver Broncos side, three rookies that have had some flashes. Michael Ojemudier has been one of the better performing rookie cornerbacks in the NFL from a yards per coverage snap perspective. I want to start with the quarterback conversation, though. Justin Herbert and Drew Locke. Herbert has looked very good. I said on uh, Monday's podcast that he's had a better rookie season so far than Joe Burrow. The high end in his game, the valuable throws he's hitting. For Drew Locke, I can't say the same. Drew Locke has not taken that step forward that Denver Broncos fans wanted from him. I don't. I think the Denver Broncos are one of those teams that probably need to invest in the quarterback position soon enough if they are in a position to draft one in this upcoming class. What has been your opinion of Herbert? I know we talked about it a ton on Monday, and then maybe lean more on what has been your opinion of Drew Locke. Yeah, I think it's time to bite the bullet to give up on Drew Locke. And I know <laughs> it's been a small sample size. He's had some injuries there, but... You know, from the downfield passing perspective, it just the, the inaccuracy is unlike anything. You know, back in Missouri, he did not have this. He had beautiful touch throws downfield. We've hardly seen that. We saw it a couple of weeks ago on a few different throws, but we just have not consistently seen that from him. And I know a lot of traditional NFL minds are like, you got to give him a couple of years at least. But yeah, I, there, I think there's better options out there, especially in next year's draft class, to kind of pursue. And so I, I think they should almost fold in the towel tank and try and get <laughs> that win over new england was tough for them i mean i mean yeah. that, they had a position because now they're two and four if they only had one win going into week eight you can really start to think about oh we're getting after justin fields we're in that justin fields conversation we're in that trey lance conversation maybe zach wilson but winning that game and now maybe if they win a handful more maybe you're drafting outside the top five outside the top eight and it gets that much harder 
to invest at the quarterback position because you don't want to be that team that trades the future every single pick to try and get up there and grab a Justin Fields or whatever it be. You want to be in that prime position to grab one. And I don't think we're going to see a ton of trade-ups in this year's draft because so many of the teams drafting in the top five are going to be needing a quarterback. There's not going to be those teams that are like, oh, we just drafted one. We don't need one. We're going to be like Washington last year with Chase Young. Any team that's drafting in the top five this year, I will say, even if it's the Cincinnati Bengals, are going to be in a position to say like, hey, let's swing the bat on one of these quarterbacks and and make a play. Maybe not the Bengals if they're drafting two or three. If they're drafting one, though, the Bengals draft number one overall, I'm telling you, Trevor Lawrence is a pick. And you're going to trade Joe Burrow, whatever it may be. That that just has to happen for the Cincinnati Bengals. No, 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 no. You have to. There is some GM out there that would literally trade the whole farm. They would trade the whole team for that number one overall pick. So I'll say this. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I will still say this. If you're drafting number one overall, you're picking Trevor Lawrence. If you trade out of it, I get it. Cincinnati Bengals would probably be one of the— I think the Cincinnati Bengals are the only team that if they're picking number one overall, they should trade the pick. That is the only team. All 31 other teams, you take. Trevor Lawrence. I wouldn't be completely opposed if they um, if they drafted Trevor Lawrence and and, more, and traded Joe Burrow because Trevor Lawrence, man, you get your you get your because how much will they be beating themselves up if they had that chance at Trevor Lawrence and stuck with Joe Burrow? It doesn't pan out because Trevor Lawrence, man, he is uh, that talent. All right, two more NFL games I want to talk. Let's go with Bucks Giants. A ton of rookies in this game that I think have are are, are going to be good ones to watch starting with Tampa Bay Antoine Winfield Jr. on his way to defensive rookie of the year honestly he's an, he's made an impact or like a significant impact in every game he's played good in run defense great in coverage had his first pick I think of his NFL career this past week man the instincts is what stood out at Minnesota and it's what's standing out in the NFL throw the size out the window yeah he's not an elite athlete he did clock I think a four five though which was big for him the injuries were the, the injuries I think the injuries in the size slash tools were the biggest concerns for him at Minnesota playing football. The game was never a concern. And you're seeing that in the NFL. The guy has instincts that are up there with like five, six year veterans. I'm in love with Antoine Winfield jr. I hope you are as well. Yeah. He looks exactly like he did at Minnesota out there. You know, I, I I was, so I got Justin Jefferson wrong, but I think I got Antoine Winfield jr. Right. Because I thought he was a first round pick. I could not believe he fell as far as he did. I remember on draft night, I kept going pick after pick. I'm like, this team needs an Antoine Winfield. And they just kept passing and get, gifted him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who already had a good defense. Now they have a great one because of Antoine Winfield. Yeah. And they have, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a great defense because they invested in this philosophy of drafting defensive backs, continue to throw the kitchen sink from a draft capital perspective at young defensive backs and wait for them to pan out. Jamel Dean. Carlton Davis, Mike Edwards, Sean Murphy Bunting, Antoine Winfield Jr. They just they just kept throwing you know uh, resource at trying to bring in these this, these talented defensive backs. Eventually, you're going to find yourself like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do now with a top five defense, a really really good secondary. And they did the same thing with a coverage linebacker and Devin White. Levante David has been very good. They don't need an elite pass rush. They don't need you know Vita Vea, obviously who's um, on the injured reserve now. Shaquille Barrett has not been the player that he was a couple years ago. I am impressed with what the Bucks done have done from a roster build perspective to put together what is now a very very good defense in the NFL. Two tackles, two first round offensive tackles will be suiting up here. One who's been absolutely stellar to start his rookie career in Tristan Wirfs for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Another one who's on pace to allow the worst pressure rate by a rookie offensive tackle in the history of PFF, dating back to 2006, in Andrew Thomas. Let's start with Tristan. No, let's start with Andrew Thomas. This is a big concern. He was PFF's number one offensive tackle coming out of Georgia, was the first offensive tackle off the board for the New York Giants, and has looked out of sync, completely a different player than he was at Georgia. Can he be fixed 
is are are you already throwing in the white flag with Andrew Thomas, or do you think there's there's greener pastures maybe in year two, year three? Yeah, I I am a little concerned now. I wasn't a few weeks ago, but it's been really really yeah. ugly for him. I mean, it's pretty rare to see even if you're a rookie playing this bad to make that kind of jump to you know where you're actually a good offensive tackle. So I, I'm really concerned. I think Tristan Wirf's going to end up by, by far the better NFL player. Yes, you know it. I mean, Tristan, going back to that game against uh, the Chargers and Joey Bosa, he shut him down. I mean, one of the better pass rushers in the NFL, he shut down Joey Bosa. Kind of got, Khalil Mack got to him, but, I mean, Khalil Mack gets to everybody. Yeah. And he still held his ground there. So, yeah, I, yeah Andrew Thomas, I'm ready to press the panic button. The, the, the panic button has been pressed. And, it's and then the smashed. off the field, too. <laughs> the off the field. Yeah. I mean, it's late to that meeting. It's benched for Matt Pert. Matt Pert comes in, grades well. What are we doing here? Late to a meeting when you're playing as bad as you are, that's that's a bad look, man. Yeah. That's a bad look. I love Tristan Worso. The guy's playing out of his mind. We had him on the podcast, I think, a handful of times. Dude's super nice guy, otherworldly athlete and lifter. Like, I mean, not surprised that the NFL doesn't look too big for this guy because he had all the tools to be great in the NFL. I was surprised he honestly wasn't the first tackle off the board. I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if Gettleman was considering Worfs and Thomas in that same melt because – Tristan Wirfs, man, super special. And it's incra- it's crazy because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we talked about need entering that draft, and it was offensive tackle. And we talked about them potentially trading up for one. The fact they were able to stay put and get him like where they did was 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 pretty incredible for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Or did they trade up? I think they, they traded up like one spot. One spot. Yeah. But I didn't expect I didn't expect them. I thought they would have to trade up more to get a talent like Tristan Wirfs. It's, it's good that they do have him now. Yeah. All right, last game. Save the best for last year. Tua Tungavailoa is making his debut – for the Miami Dolphins, there's a handful of other uh, talented first-year, second-year players in this game. David Long Jr., Taylor Rapp, Noah Benogany, Terrell Burgess won't be playing. He's out for the season with a fractured ankle, I believe. Um, but Tua Tungavailoa, what are your expectations for him going against the Los Angeles Rams defense, Aaron Donald included? Yeah, he's going to get baptized by fire. <laughs> he's going to get killed out there by Aaron Donald. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. So I, We I, all do at a certain point. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not expecting him to put up, you know— a jaw-dropping performance where he might be player of the week or something like that i'm expecting maybe a pff grade in the low 70s at best because of aaron donald he's going to be under pressure a lot but and it's the coverage unit too i mean seth wrote a great article too about this rams defense i mean it's jalen ramsey's playing exceptional football right now so i mean i i think he's going to struggle you know it was kind of interesting to see i understand why they did it before the bye but you look at the Rams' defense, I would not want to put Tua Tonga Viola, who has not played since this gruesome injury, in against one of the best yeah. defenses in the NFL. So I don't get it. I don't get why they went to Tua Tonga Viola after the bye. Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing a winning brand of football behind a bad offensive line with a middling receiving core and a defense that's very young and still learning. Tua Tonga Viola is now going to go into that same situation, play a very conservative brand of football, not going to be the roller coaster high end that, that Ryan Fitzpatrick is capable of. I think this offense is ADOT is going to drop cut in half. You're not going to see these aggressive throws downfield. You're not going to see the same confidence that Ryan Fitzpatrick brings to the table. I, I ultimately think a Miami Dolphins team that was potentially in for that seventh, sixth spot in the AFC as a playoff contender. I, no way they make the playoffs with Tua Tungavailoa. I think this offense takes a significant step back. And I like Tua Tungavailoa as a prospect, but I don't think. Bringing him in now after this catastrophic injury with the supporting cast is going to lead to better results than what they would have had with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think that's the concern for me. And here's what I would hate to see. Tua Tonga-Vailoa comes in. They lose a couple games. A couple games they probably should lose. And then they bring back in Ryan Fitzpatrick to try and go chase the, super, the playoffs. That would be absurd to me. 
if Tua Tungavaloa doesn't start every single game for the rest of this year, regardless of the outcome, it would be a concern for me. Because then you're just like middling opinions, and, and I, I think that would be a problem. And everyone wants to say, well, you have to see Tua Tungavaloa play. You have to see what you have in him. Patrick Mahomes played one game before he went into year two and dominated as the starter of the Kansas City Chiefs. And he, I'm not saying Tua Tungavaloa is Patrick Mahomes, but you don't need to see it in a live game for a rookie quarterback to feel confident in him starting in his second or third year. You could see it one game or see it late in games where they're winning and then still have that same outcome, especially if your team is still competent and a point to where you can make a playoffs in a bad AFC East and a bad overall AFC where the playoffs have been extended from six teams to seven. I, I still don't love the move. I, I'm interested to see how he plays against uh, Aaron Donald, but I do think you, you said it best in that he's going to be baptized by fire going against what is a very good Los Angeles Rams defense. All right. That's going to do it for the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast this episode here. Anthony Tresh is going to be on for a while, I think. If, unless Mike Rayner gets a negative test, my, Tresh is coming on. the season of The Bachelorette. <laughs> and unless, unless, you know, maybe, maybe, through, maybe through the end of The Bachelorette, but uh, Tresh could even be on the podcast next week. Make sure you tune into that. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. But until next time, um, make sure you rate and review the podcast, by the way. Leave in comments. It keeps food on the table for Tresh, Mike, and myself. But until next time, Austin Gale, Anthony Tresh, 2 for 1 Drafts. 